Hello, everybody. Welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. Today we're discussing Episode 8 of Star Trek Lower Decks, Veritas. I'm Kevin, one of your hosts. My other host, as always, joins me. I am Ethan. I am here to discuss this episode. We're here to discuss this wonderful, if not chaotic, slightly chaotic episode. So, so it was wild and it broke the mold. Definitely did. Absolutely did. That's one of the things about it that jumped out about me the most, was that structurally it did not sort of follow the episodes that we've seen prior to this. And while I found that to be a little jarring in the beginning, I thought it was a really good decision. I agree. It was nice to mix it up. They've been following what I'll call the sitcom um, structure, where you sort of had the A plot, the B plot, sometimes the C plot, and it just kind of jumped back and forth. In between your commercial breaks, you have like two two dips in each one. What I was um, hoping. So yeah, I think that I have a theory though that this episode was not necessarily written this way. It was created in the editing room. I don't know effect. how true it is, but it felt like that, especially at the beginning to me. But let's get into the plot. So the plot this week begins with our ensigns in a jail cell, later ascending into a courtroom that's very similar to what we see in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So Mariner, Tendi, Boimler, and Rutherford, they're caught off guard when these aliens kind of force them into testifying about a seemingly series of unrelated events. And we, the audience, are just as confused as the ensigns are in terms of what's actually going on. And the first thing about this that really jumped out at me was it was the first time, I'm fairly certain, first time this season where the teaser really led us into the main plot of the show. We've had teasers that tie into it, but nothing that really kind of leads you in like that, as I recall. So that was that jumped out at me right away. Definitely, yeah. And it set up. A sub, it dropped us in the middle of the action, and yeah. it didn't really have a joke to it. No, it started off serious, actually, and yeah, that I mean, teaser had a bit of a cliffhanger to it. Mariner kind of made the joke of, like, oh, this isn't as bad as all those times I was in Klingon prison, though. Right. That was as close to a joke as we got. Even though it's mimicking the experience of a Klingon prison, oddly enough. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but... Yeah, I mean, my initial observations, again, is I liked how... I mean, it was a little disorienting at first to see all of this because the formula had changed up slightly. So once I got myself a little oriented on what was actually happening, then I was really kind of thrust into the action of the show. So, yeah. (laughs) I, I thought it was a very funny episode. I think that it crammed – it was nice to – so, yeah, you mentioned, like, being disoriented. When it first started, I thought maybe I had um, started in the middle of the episode. Now, I know this is a strategy where you do, like, in media res, you start in the middle of the action. But um, I don't know. For some reason, it didn't feel like – which is why I think it might have been made in the editing room because it didn't feel like that was the plan. It felt like the emotions were already, like, ramped up. And they were already seemed to be like at a point that they had gotten them to. And I like the fact that it's then once I realize, okay, it's it's the classic. Here's where they are now. Let's look at how they got here. Right. So the events of the what's what's happening is the it's all told through flashbacks, which is what we we've seen 
this sort of storytelling structure on TV before and in Star Trek as well. What I thought they were actually going to do, but they didn't, is do you ever have you ever seen like what they've done in shows where like you have a bunch of people recalling events, but they're all recalling the same event, and oh, each the, and each flashback yeah, is different because they seem to have yes. they seem to have because like a different version of what they saw. And I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed. And I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't do that with this because I thought that was a, that would have been a really good opportunity to kind of mess with the comedy and have like Boimler telling one version of a story versus Rutherford telling one version of a story. And I think it would have fit into really played up the angle of like how intense the situation was that they're in because they're in this gigantic tribunal. They can't really see anything. Again, it mimics what we see in Star Trek six and even that enterprise episode judgment. So it's a very, they're in a very intimidating experience and I would have loved to have seen them, each one of them, telling the same story. But because they're so nervous and anxious and freaked out about where they are, that the story keeps changing from person to person. Right. Or, or people would have uh, their version, they are more heroic or uh, yes, you know, more the center of the story. Which we sort of got with Tendi, because at one point, um, the, he thought it was the lawyer, but it was just the party planner, um, mm. said... Uh, what, you won't expect me to believe that you did kung fu on all those people? <laughs> yes. But I guess that was true. It seemed like it was true. But I would not. I would have been totally okay with it if it wasn't true, and she just said it to make herself look more heroic. And I, I, actually, would have expe- I actually would have expected that from this show, to tell you the truth. Yeah, but I, I thought what they did worked because that's how we got so much plot mushed in because we got to see everyone actually was on these very different uh, adventures. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a very great, it was a really nice way of telling the story. And I think that it's a very good way to do it for the show. I think it really lends itself to, to the show itself. And I know that over the course of the last few weeks, one of the things that I keep sort of, revisiting with the show overall is that we we have continually talked about how we feel like Lower Decks has reached a kind of cruising altitude in terms of how they tell their stories, how much screen time characters get. Basically, I think now this episode kind of confirms it, even though they're shaking up the formula a little bit. I feel like the show has finally kind of hit that, figured out what that recipe is that makes for a very entertaining episode of Lower Decks. The show kind of has its identity now in a way. I agree. And, yeah. and the great thing is that even though this was had a lot of the bridge crew in it, it's way more focused on our Lower Decks characters, which right. I really like. And I felt that, this was, again, they had they struck a much better balance. Between exactly. having the bridge crew in, but also not overdoing it. So it just felt like any other Star Trek. Because we t- we talked about a few weeks back how the bridge crew seemed to be featured more and more. And that it was just becoming like another Trek show. Which And we, and we said that sort of as a, as a means of... Like that's problematic because the show was sold to us all, pitched to all of us as it's going to focus on lower decks. 
we may not even see the bridge crew that often. What do the lower decks do from time to time? And so mm-hmm. when we saw that the bridge crew seemed to be getting featured more and more, we were like, well, it felt like the premise was being chipped away a little bit. But I think yeah. that they really kind of got back to what the show was originally set out to be. I think so. And I think we got a little bit of the logistics behind that. I think it was implied before, but I don't know if it was ever stated quite so directly when Boimler said, um, we have our bridge duty, we rotate into bridge duty, or we, you know, it's our rotation on bridge duty. So I guess everyone in the whole ship has a shift periodically on the bridge, which I guess would make sense for like, from a training standpoint or getting everyone experience or something, but that at least explains a little bit why they're always on the bridge. It, it, that definitely makes sense to me. And you make me wonder now that you said that, because we were talking, I think, in the first few weeks, why is Boimler on the bridge? Why are they they're supposed to be down on lower decks? And you make a good point about they need to get the experience. And it's making me wonder to myself now, like, it'd be funny if, like, they do get bridge duty, but they get, like, the late-night bridge duty when the captain's, like, not even there, like, when the senior staff are, like, asleep. And they have to kind of, like, hold down the fort while everybody... and then, But if something, like... Big happens, like they have to wake up the captain, like they're not even like qualified enough to take care of it. <laughs> right, the overnight shift. Right, like that's exactly right. They work the, yeah, like they work the overnight shift on the bridge, and we've seen a little bit of that in Trek before, that there was an overnight shift on the bridge because obviously a captain can't be sitting in that chair for 24 hours. But yeah, I think that would be a really interesting thing for them to maybe delve more into, is having like Boimler be the navigator, like for the overnight shift. Hmm. So it would be, and they definitely have lower decks crews that just are on a different sleep schedule. Correct. So that there's always some staffing. So yeah, you'd think every starship would actually have like a day captain and a night mm-hmm. captain. The, hey, look, maybe we just we may have just come up with the next idea for an animated comedy, night shift. Or the next idea for every series, because now you can just do. Yeah, you didn't know it, but there was a night captain on Next Generation, and here's right that story. Right. Star and, Trek. Oh, there was also a night captain on the original series. Here he is, or she is. Star Trek Night, Star Trek Night Shift, directed by Ron <laughs> Howard. Don't forget the Ron Howard movie Night Shift. Um, oh yeah, and uh, Harry, Harry the Magician. Yeah, and on Voyager they they go into that a little bit with Harry Kim. Like he does have Night Watch on the bridge, which they show from time to time. So mm-hmm. I would love it if Lower Decks maybe took advantage of that and. Yeah, that'd be really funny. That would be cool. um, but I do think that another fantastic um, bit of um, you know plot manipulation in order to get our characters where they need to be, and revealed the fact that Tendi has the same reverence for conference rooms on Star Trek that I do. That you do was Tendi's uh, experience cleaning the conference room was probably the most of the bridge crew we got with mm-hmm. Ransom and the security officer, but also. I think the highlight of the episode. Well, and I think, and I have, and I have that in my notes too, right? I loved, and I feel like that moment actually, I feel like they kind of stumbled upon a potentially really funny comedic element that they could bring back on the show. Cause I loved the idea that Tendi, the only reason why Tendi was brought onto that mission was cause she just happened to be in the conference room at that, at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like that classic, I can't point to an example, but I know I've seen it in films before, like that one person who just sort of gets 
who just happens to be at the wrong place at the wrong time gets caught up mm-hmm. in this excitement and they think that he's they may think like he's somebody who's supposed to be or like this he's mis- they're misunderstood to be the most important person like something and I loved and I was like I'd like to see kind of more of that like more of like a misunderstanding type of situation or like, again, I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now I'm being brought on to be doing something that I'm, that I really shouldn't be doing, but I'm going to try to do it anyway. And then thus, you know, hilarity ensues. Like I like the idea of taking that idea and just yes. mess and just playing with it from time to time. Yeah. And that it was, I guess similar with Rutherford in this one, but it does sort of go back to that idea that the bridge crew is so inept and incompetent that, could they really exist in Starfleet? Because it's pretty irresponsible to just bring whichever crew member happens to be cleaning the coffin terminal. You're getting changed along on right. a delicate away mission. <laughs> yeah, because you think, like, if that happened on Voyager, Janeway would come into the conference room and she'd be like, Ensign, dismissed. <laughs> and, they would get, and then they would get right to it, right? Yeah, but she'd it's... watch, wait, wait till they left before she started to talk. Right. But it says more about the incompetence of the first officer, because he just assumes that they're in there for that reason, when really, like, if you were any good at your job, you would know that... Yeah, you would know who's on your way with Do you see the cleaning cart, Ransom? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that I have the lint brush in my hand? Like, come on. Yep. Can you see that um, she's clearly lower decks, and she's not even the division that you needed with you? Yeah. The other thing that I liked... And this happened in the beginning of the episode when the first um, flashback is told. It's when the four of them are in the shuttle bay, cleaning the shuttles. And Rutherford and Marin are kind of debating, uh, like, past villains on Trek, on Next Gen. Mm-hmm. Boimler's talking about the uh, character from the Next Generation episode, the Hunted, Roga Dinar. Sorry, thank which you. Which I did not remember. I had it in my notes, but I couldn't find it. I'm like, I know it's here someplace. And then, of course, Mariner's talking about Khan. But one thing I noticed about it was, and it, it almost kind of occurred to me this week. There's like two things about it that jump out. I love the fact that Mariner chooses like some obscure villain from a next gen, from like a third season Next Generation episode. That's not even really. It's. I mean, it's an, it's a good episode, but it's when you hear about yeah. great Next Generation episodes, it's. I, I don't hear that one talked about very often and if she's of course yes. talking about how much she likes Khan yeah. but I realized that they're talking about it in a very similar way as if the way like fans in the real world talk about next generation episodes and I know that they've kind of already done this already but for some reason it almost like it for some reason it just kind of hit me now about and I think it just more had to do with the fact that they were talking about some obscure vil- some obscure enemy on a on a random episode of Next Gen that that I guarantee almost nobody ever talks about. Right. I, I don't remember the character. I know Boimler said that he outsmarted Picard, so that's a pretty good resume. Right. But yeah, I mean that part didn't land for me so well because I mean it was it was fine. But you know, and it was a little cheeky how mm-hmm. Mariner then said um he was a space seed. Right, right. It was cheeky. Right. It was fine. Um, and then Tendi mentions, and then Tendi mentions Khan's chest, which is kind of which I which was kind of I only found out uh-huh. like I only found out a while ago that apparently like there was rigorous debate among the fans whether that was Ricardo Montalban's actual chest, and I was like, oh really? I didn't know. That. And I was like, 
And I, yeah. I, for some reason, I found that so odd. I didn't it even know that that really existed. It was plastic, didn't it? It was very shiny. I, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't looking at his chest when I was watching that movie, to tell you the truth. How could you not be looking at his chest? I mean, it's really in your face. I, I just wasn't. <laughs> What can I tell you? Well, all right, I'm gonna quote I'm gonna quote um uh, Mariner here because you know what's the difference between witnessing something and just looking at stuff? Because I definitely saw his chest. I mean his shirt was wide open and so glistening. It was I don't know. If I, I gotta tell you, like being a Trek fan for so long, it was never something that I was even that I was even aware of at all. I, I uh, really didn't even Well Ricardo Montalban Till the day he died, swear that it was his real chest. Well, we'll never know. <laughs> we may never know. Well, take his word for it, I guess. Director Nicholas Meyer has said it is, but the thing, as I said, the thing that I just was not aware of was this debate about his chest, and I was, I just, I don't know, I just, I found it odd for some reason. I, I, I don't, I don't know why. Cool. Have you gone back and looked at it since you found out? Uh, I mean, not for that reason, but. I'm just like, okay, well, it's a... Ch- it I, like, I guess... I guess looks, If someone told me it was made out of plastic, I wouldn't be surprised. Let me put it that way. I guess what I'm saying is I don't really give a shit if it's real or not. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter to me. No, I didn't give a shit until I heard about the controversy, and I definitely didn't care. I just find the controversy odd for some reason. That, to me, I just find very odd. But we'll talk about that on our Wrath of Khan podcast, when, which will or be... the Ricardo Montalban's chest podcast. Which will be never. So... Um, the part in the, in the shuttle bay that really gave me a good laugh was when Tendi walks out, then walks back in, and she's like, guys, we're at red alert. And Boyma's like, no, we're not. And I really loved the idea, because Rutherford said, oh, well, he toyed with the, um, he's like, no, we can't be, because I, I upped the volume on the speakers. And I don't know why, but something about messing with the level volume of the red alert sound, it just made me think of that time when you were telling me, I think I think you mentioned it on watching the first episode of Discovery, where you said you always found it odd that when ships go to red alert, it's obvious to the other ship out there because they can see it, they can see like red lights flashing, yes. so they know they're at a, they're at an alert. Yes, and that it's flashing red and then darkness, and it's so it's right. disorienting for the people in the ship, and also yes. it's probably like makes you your heart race and makes you very anxious because yes. Red is, yeah, yeah so and you would think, not a good way to do it. And you would think, given that you're doing that, you're not going to have people at their best because they're freaking out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because there's a loud noise and there's a strobe light, a red strobe light going. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's something I never really and I and I get it from the from the television side of it, right? It's meant to be dramatic, but yeah, in the in the world of right, it, but in the world of the show, it's too much. right. I mean, I know that various times throughout the shows they'll say, cancel red alert. Or, like, there was even a moment, so there was a moment in the Voyager cliffhanger basics where the Kazon capture Voyager. And so the and so when the Kazon arrive on the bridge and they, they kind of herd the crew to the center of the bridge, the leader of the Kazon, Nistra, and Maj Kala comes on the bridge, and of course he's, you know, saying, I've captured your ship, ha ha ha, and, you know, then at one point, they're still at red alert. And at one point he goes... Why is it so dark in here? Somebody turn on the lights. <laughs> That's good. That's and it was just, and I remember at the time laughing like hell because it was the first time kind of in world to have somebody acknowledge like, yeah, why is it so dark in here when we're at Red Alert? Yeah, like, yeah. why do you turn off all the lights? Well, to again quote Mariner, um, you know, 
at some point it'll just tire itself out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I did notice Voyager kind of addresses it a little bit. In the original series, the red alert sound just keeps blaring. Yeah. I would like to hear someone get on the, the, the comms and say, um, all right, listen, everybody, we're still in alert, but I'm turning off the lights and the sound because we all know we're in alert. So just stay alert, but I don't want to hear it or see it anymore. Well, the, so on Voyager, what happens is when they go to red alert, the, the, the alert sound sounds like five times. And then it stops, but things are still blinking red. Okay, right. That's a little better. I have noticed when they say yellow alert, nothing really happens. No yellow lights blinking. No, there's no yellow. Like on on Next Generation, I noticed that the 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 interface of their of um of all the computers like switch to a yellow color kind of, which I still don't really get why it does that anyway. Yeah, that like why are you changing too. the like why are you changing the color of my touchscreen? Yeah, like a button you have to press it, you was always blue. Suddenly now yellow, and you touched the wrong one. This is what I'm saying. So th- there's never been an alert sound. There's never been an alert sound for yellow alert. There's an alert sound for black alert, as we've seen on Discovery, and it does seem dramatic there as well. And you even have somebody come on and say black alert, black alert. Mm. But yeah, yellow alert kind of gets the kind of gets the snuff. So one plot device I thought that was very prominent this week that I feel like the show kind of abandoned, and I'm glad that they brought it back, but it's almost like they were making up for it, was the use of Rutherford's implant. I feel like that's a really good comic plot device that they haven't fully utilized. It was set up up in the first episode, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really do much with it after that until this one and i wish that they would have and as i said they did it so much in this episode that it almost seems to make up for the lack of its use in yeah. previous weeks because yeah the first episode we saw that it could do more than just allow him to see right and it changes his personality and it's more like a whole computer system but right that's yeah, true that has sort of been forgotten until this episode when it came back with the vengeance mm. boy wasn't it hilarious to have him keep waking up in these crazy situations right yeah, it, it, it. I really wish that they would use it more often, and I hope that they continue to, because I thought they did such a great job with it this week. It was really funny, and again, it has. That's one of the things that I think really kind of sets the show apart from the other ones. When you have something like that, so I want to see them use that more often. Not every single week, but don't yes. forget. Don't forget about it. Yeah. As a graphic designer, did you enjoy when it said, updating Klingon fonts? I did. And he's like, what? Why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because no species, like, has their own font. Like, they have their own language. But, like, yeah, you know, you have to assume that the Klingon font that we normally see, there are, mul- there are a multitude of fonts that can still display the same Klingon characters, right? Right. So I guess maybe you mean, like, a Klingon keyboard... Yes. Well, maybe not, maybe not by then. A bunch of crazy scenes between Tendi and Rutherford. It became very much a uh, like a just a rapid fire, wild mm-hmm. reference laden, uh, you know, sudden scenes. Right. Um. I think out of the three plots that we see, because we we get as a, we normally get three plots per week. 
Rutherford and Mariner's were they shared the same plot. Oh, excuse me, not Rutherford. Mariner and um, Boimler shared the same plot. Tendi got her own plot. Rutherford got his own plot. And mm-hmm. I got the framing plot. I gotta say that out of those three, I think I enjoyed Rutherford's the most because it was so like frantic and he had no idea because it was, it was like it was an ops mission, right? And I have to and I and I sort of thought to myself, this is probably what it would be like if Rutherford was in Section Thirty One. Yeah, there was actually a point where I wondered if those not with Rutherford actually, but with Tendi, if that was Section Thirty One, right? Uh, the Andorian and, and the other person. What was what was great about Tendi's is that. I loved how it was it was classified for her, but it was also classified kind of for us, the audience, too. Like, they were blanking yes. out the faces of the, of the characters, because she yes, has to tell them, oh, it's classified. Yeah, so I can't tell you everything. But you can't tell the audience, either. Yeah, they were beeped. Right. But sometimes it was beeped because she was swearing, and other right. times it was beeped because it was classified. Right. Um, I thought that worked very well. I thought it worked really, really well, and... I got to say, like, it was really nice for me to see those characters in those situations because, as we've said in the past, Rutherford and Tendi, they're besties, they, they're techies, they love being in Starfleet, they're happy to just sort of be in the Jeffries tubes, realigning plasma conduits, that sort of thing. But to see them kind of outside of their mm-hmm. comfort zone and really thrust into this, because, again, they're just happy being, like, on a repair team. Or, some, or being in, yeah. right? They're not like an away mission. They're not away mission type of characters. And so I think yeah. what we saw with them a lot, I think what we saw with them primarily this week was we got to see them in sort of like these fish out of water situations to see how they would react. And as Star Trek yeah. has proven and, in the and past. And it turns out is pretty badass. Right. And so it also makes you wonder, oh yeah, like Tendi definitely has what it takes to and Rutherford, or maybe well, Tendi more than Rutherford. Like Tendi definitely has it in there to potentially be a, a first officer or even a captain, but or security officer or security officer, hand to hand capabilities. But she, you can, but you know that she's just she's happy where she is, and I like I have no doubt that maybe she would aspire to be that, but she's still really happy where she is. I mean, you got Boimler who's like who a few weeks ago said that his ultimate goal, his dream position is to be an officer on the USS Titan. But Tendi and Rutherford, they're just like, yeah, we're, we're happy just being down on the lower decks. If they want us on away missions, like I'm, I'll love to, I'm happy to do that. But you know, it's clear, like there's a choice, for, there's a choice with them, right? It's yeah. not all they can do. No, they're just happier doing the lower deck stuff. It seems like so far. Right, and it was neat to also put that on them a bit because we've been seeing it a lot with Mariner, and this sort of put that on hold because it was such a wild episode, which is fine. Right. Because I, I do hope that we can get back to that arc of what will Mariner do with her uh, immense right. talent. Right. Um, I really loved when Rutherford had to storm the museum. I mean, you want to talk about Easter eggs? They were all over the place. The most notable, of course was when that security officer was wearing the security uniform from the, mo- the motion picture. Which, I hope you know how much I love that. I know. Uniform. You were the first person I thought of when I saw that. I'm like, oh, he must be so happy. <laughs> so I used to do, I used to make costumes and things. I haven't really in a while, but I thought about making that costume just because it's such an off-the-wall. And it yeah. looked like a, 
a football player kind of mixed with a highline player. And right. It's very interesting and strange. So we can't finish talking up talking about this episode until we obviously mention one of the big things that happened. So I was going to mention it in the continuity watch, but it's more fitting. So we got to see Q in this episode. Oh yeah. But used in a very good way. He was only used as like in a flashback, basically. Yeah. Here's one thing though. I enjoyed it, but I also felt a little bit bad for John Delancey. Oh, because it wasn't uh he only came on and said like four or five gag. things. It, it was a gag. a gag. Yeah. Well, because yeah. Q because Q is always the primary driver of a plot. He's never like there like for a gag, right? And yes. so you think it was a disservice to John Delancey? Well, I'm sure he had fun doing it, but given that I don't know, it just popped in my head like how, you know, he's an actor. He's a serious actor. How much he probably would rather be doing some heavy scenes with um, Patrick Stewart than these guys. But I don't know. What do I know? Well, I think I think what worked so well. So first of all, Flat out, we knew that Q was coming on the show at some point. We didn't know in what capacity. We just saw him in one of the trailers a few weeks ago in the midseason mm-hmm. trailer. So we were speculating, like, what's that going to be like when he finally shows up? Is it an episode about Q? You were kind of you were kind of dead on in your prediction in terms of what his interaction would were gonna would be like because you so. Yeah, why don't you remind us? So of I did you... say that if, if Mariner would have no patience for Q's, you know, bullcrap. Right. And it's kind of true. She had no patience for it. She just... Especially... He, he yeah. wasn't able to intimidate her or throw her off. She just kind of was like, not now, Q, come on. Especially considering all they went through. She's just like, oh, I, no. Right? Yes. So... But I did love what the, the what he did to the bridge crew. That was so, and there was so. Here's one of the things that I love to do. So, a lot of times when I see a joke or something on TV that's really funny, sometimes mm-hmm. the sometimes the funnier things are the things mm-hmm. to me are the things that we don't see, right? It's like when you pick apart a joke, right? Sometimes you run the risk of not making it of making it less funny. But in other words, like when Q, like what when Q showed up for the first time, like in that flashback. It seemed heavily suggested by the behavior, like, this is like the eighth time he's come here. Yeah, like, they're used they to this by now, right? thrown off by it. Right. And so, like, I think just that alone, it's at the point now, like, because Q seems to have reverted back to, he's almost like playing a parody of himself, right? Because when you, oh, when you, when you go back and look at his early episodes, he's all about wanting humanity to prove itself, wanting to put humanity to the test. He's yeah. he's not in the first like three episodes, two episodes, he's he's less of a nuisance. He and he's more of a and he's more villain like, right? But yeah. in this case, he seems to be going reverting back to the villainous way about him, but the crew is just like, no. Like they know they know enough now to not even take it seriously. Yeah. But which is Which I, I love. Know. I think it's kind of too bad because it takes away the Q power. And because think about it, I don't believe that there's, well, we, we are meant to see it as this great triumph that uh, Picard is able to outsmart Q. Right. 
But if he truly was testing humanity to see if they were worthy, I think we have to assume there's no way that the Ceratos bridge crew was able to outsmart Q. Well, and Especially the, when, when they put him into, onto the chessboard. They were chess pieces. Right. And there were the cards, and then the cards started shuffling. And they said, all right, he wants us to play, play a game. And then they were just, they had no idea what was happening. I mean, and especially when you give the, when you, when you think about how the bridge crew is framed in this episode as a whole, I, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it was a good joke, but I just, I think it, weakens Q a lot. So if I think of, if I put, this is all canon, as they say, brain, then it starts to bug me, but it's easy enough for me to not do that. If it's all, did you say, if it's all, if it's all canon, you said? Yes, which is what the, certainly the official um, trick word is. Right. But I can just not think of it as canon because it was funny. Yeah. I, I, but I did love his last line a lot when uh, uh, Mariner tells him to go bother Picard. And he goes, oh, Picard, he's no fun. He's always quoting Shakespeare. He's always making wine. You do a pretty good uh, John Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, Picard. Yeah, I, I, it's, I, um... I've always been taken by John Delancey's voice. By the way. He's got a fantastic, he's an yes. amazing voice. Yes. Just, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. And um, it's kind of interesting because it did sort of make sense because he is sort of obsessed with Picard. Right. Which which is why when he visited Cisco, which was only once, and then Janeway, in my opinion, it wasn't... While they were good, it was not as... It definitely was not as good as when he would go to Picard. Picard felt more adversarial. Picard was more like annoyed by him being there. Janeway kind of just tolerated it. Cisco punched him and he never came back. So, <laughs> but like at the same time, he didn't, I don't think he had any reason. There always seemed to be a reason why he would visit Picard. There never really seemed to be a good enough reason for him to go to the other captains. I see. You know what I mean? Like, and that's why I feel like the when Q appeared on those episodes again, while good, it was not as effective as he was when he was on the Next Generation. I think it's because Picard is his first experience with humanity, and it there was more of a Bruce Wayne Joker feud about it. Like, in my opinion, like Q is Picard's Joker. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking that earlier, too, of um, Joker and how there's this, um, you know, in certain comics, they make it that um, the Joker, like, loves Batman because it gives him, like, a reason to exist and all this. So right. Q sort of has that vibe. Well, and I think Q, Q, Q also knows how to push all of Picard's buttons. So um, That's true. Yeah. So I, but Whereas Mariner's buttons are not pushed by him at all. But I don't see... I think the way Q was set up in this episode, I'm not expecting him to come back. No, right? that was it. It was just a, yeah. a gag. They're already... I, I think if... And, well, that's the thing. I think if he ever does come back, I think it's going to be like that. I, I don't... 
the show already seems to suggest that the crew had some kind of history with Q, or at least they were familiar with Q, because outside of Next Gen and even Voyager for that matter, well, Voyager kind of goes into a little bit, but like, it's never really, it was never really known how aware the rest of the Starfleet was of Q, right? Mm-hmm. But then when we when he appears on Voyager for the first time, you know, Jan- one of the things Janeway says is that every captain in Starfleet has been briefed about your appearances on the Enterprise, and so, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that you would let it. If there's any possibility you could encounter this person, you would want everyone to know because you know usually that's the first learning curve. It's like who is this person? Yeah. So, so you cut that out. How did you feel about? the kind of how this episode wrapped up when we find out that this is not actually a courtroom trial. It's a, it's a, it's actually a party. It's a thank you party for rescuing the me from the Romulans. Like, right. Um, I thought it was fine. And I, I, I forget that. I think they took their hand at a point. Cause I figured it out a little bit before the end, not all that much, but, mm. um, and it was neat how it tied everything together too, because what they were stealing was actually, a rescue. Um, so I think that worked well. But what I really, really liked is um, Boimler's speech because Boimler's speech very much was a defense of the crew right? from a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're incompetent um, and down, sometimes downright like malicious. Right. And he said it. He said, you know, we they're they're the most Starfleet thing because they're human and they're not perfect and humans yeah. aren't perfect. So it was interesting to have that sort of, um, uh, you know, like the, the swelling inspirational, what's the, what is Starfleet speech? But it was very much this show's version of that, which is very different than when you have a somewhat of excellence, like the card. Given. Final conclusions again. Um, I liked it. I liked the episode, and I think what I li- what I liked about it the most was how it just how it switched up the storylines, the story structure, the episodic structure, as compared to the ones a few weeks ago, over the last couple of weeks. So I, I I liked that most about the episode. I just I wasn't a fan of just sort of the reveal at the end, but I mean, you know, it's apples to apples. And I didn't mind it, and I remember the po- the moment when it clicked was when um. The lawyer person, or the, actually the party planner, said uh, something to um, Boimler of like, "But I need you to say that they're wonderful," or like, "How you? I need you to say how great they are." And that's when I thought, "Oh, okay, this is not what I thought it was." But um, I thought it worked. This was one of the episodes where it was more. It worked for me because it was so funny. Yes. Yeah. And it, it it was a little less believable in some ways, but. Because it was, it, it got a good payoff from that, which was really funny for me. So moving on to the continuity watch. So before I give my list of, oh boy, this is going to take a while. It might take a while. You t- you tend to start this off with questions for me. Did you have any for me? Oh yeah. So one was about Roga Dunar. So did Roga Dunar really outsmart Picard? Probably. I haven't seen that episode in quite some time. It's it's uh, season three, The Hunted. I actually, I admittedly probably should have watched it before we recorded. 
But they All haven't right. they haven't said anything. Put it this way, to my knowledge, they haven't said anything inaccurate about when they reference previous. Right. Yeah. So. And then I the only say, other one. Yep. I assume this has to do with Tashigar's death. What is it when character said, "Tasha, you know, Tasha, look out for the trash bag behind you." <laughs> yes. I had to, I had to watch that line a couple of times because I didn't know what I didn't know what he said and I'm like what I'm like what about a trash bag what and then and the I thing just, that killed it looked like a trash bag I mean it was an oil slick and it was shiny I mean I guess you could if you're gonna dress up in a Halloween <laughs> costume as the Horta I mean as the as that thing not the Horta um as uh Armist then yes you'd probably want to wear a trash bag over you over you All right. so I guess um and then I was wondering do you think that was section thirty one the Andorian and and the other person that were working with Ransom. I hope not. <laughs> I the hope whole not. vibe was Section Thirty One, you know, the tactical yeah. vest and all that. Yeah, I hope not. But realistically, I have no idea. I'm just gonna say I hope not. So. Oh, and have we ever seen that alien um, alien people, the ones uh, that were putting them on trial? No, I actually thought they were Orions at first. Oh yeah, but uh, I I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Memory Alpha did not have a article for them, so I be- I think they're new. I believe they're new. So, okay. um, so to get onto the continuity watch, and I know we kind of discussed a little bit of it already, but the trial room, obviously, again a major reference to the Klingon show trial in Star Trek VI, and in the Enterprise episode Judgment. It even had this, a lot of the same camera angles used in Star Trek VI. Um, the horn of Kandor that they spoke out of, mm-hmm. to me, looked a lot like the planet killer from the Doomsday Machine. I wondered if that was intentional. I know it's a horn, but... Oh, even okay. so. And don't forget, remember, absolute candor. Yes. So maybe the horn has something to do with absolute candor. I wondered that too. I like that he said it's, that's one of our most sacred horns. <laughs> they have many. And don't forget the Klingons have drinking horns. Fetch me my drinking horn. I need ale. Uh, Rogadena appeared obviously in a Next Generation episode, The Hunted, and was the and was the quote unquote all times biggest badass because he totally outsmarted Picard and he has awesome hair. Uh, <laughs> by contrast, uh, Beckett called Dana a dude nobody's even heard of. Which is true, because I, I thought to myself, I'm like, wait, who is that again? And I had, to, I, had to, <laughs> I had to do a quick look up on Memory Alpha, and then... Did he have great hair? Yeah, I guess. Uh, coincidentally, the actor who plays him is actually the actor who played the human doctor on the first episode of Voyager, who died to make way for the emergency medical hologram. The Vulcan shuttle that they're using on, the, on their ops mission, it's the same exact shuttle design as we see that Spock departs from in Star Trek The Motion Picture. The museum that they land is filled with sh- tons of ships previously seen in Star Trek. Among them are the Vulcan lander from First Contact, a Ferengi vessel, the original series Romulan Bird of Prey, which is also featured very heavily in this episode, an original series era shuttlecraft, next generation era shuttlecraft, there's a Tholian ship, a Jem'Hadar fighter, a Starfleet worker bee, and a Klingon battlecruiser. Those are the ones that I saw. The security officer is wearing the same uniform as seen in the security guards from the, from the motion picture. Rutherford's fan dance reminded me of Uhura's fan dance seen in Star Trek V. Definitely. The reference to Mark Twain carrying a gun from the next <laughs> <laughs> from Time's Arrow. Uh, the Gorn wedding 
you know, this show is getting a lot of mileage out of the Gorn. It's using them quite often. You got to. Yep. The salt vampire, as we see from the man trap. Yeah. The... This is the second or third salt vampire. Um, yeah. I believe. Reference. Yep. Yep. Uh, they reference a giant, a giant Spock from, uh, which is uh, a reference to an animated series episode called The Infinite Vulcan. Mm, nice. What's your? Do you have any favorite lines this week? Well, interestingly, it's a favorite line and a sort of a reference. Uh, um, I really liked when the two Romulans were walking, and he said, "You know what I hate? Remans. <laughs> yeah, they're the worst." Yep. That was uh, that was very fun. My favorite line of the week is when the when Mariner and Boimler are heading up to the bridge. And during the red alert, and, the, and they're freaking out, and she says to him, we'll get kicked off the ship and have to live on Earth where there's, where there's nothing to do except drink wine, hang out at vineyards, and soul food restaurants. Yes. I had that one as one of mine as well. Yeah, that one was really good. Um, I really like the Andorian freaking yep. out about the scanning. They're scanning! Oh, they're yes, scanning! yes. No, they stopped. They're scanning! <laughs> he said Scanning! And, like, every time they say it, another ship appears. Because it's great, because there have been so many moments throughout the franchise where, like, they're on a cloaked ship, and they've had to create that tense moment because they think, because a ship is scanning them, and they think they've been detected. Yup. Yeah. And it's such an oddly specific Star Trek-like moment of intensity. So, yeah, I love that. That It was was funny because, yeah, scanning seems so not that bad of a thing. Right, but of course we know it isn't. And then they did something that they don't. Do. I like that they don't use it a lot on the show because some comedies, um, particularly animated ones, go to this well far too often, which is the um, like repeating something many times for humor's sake. It almost gets funnier because you keep repeating it. You know, that's a that's a cheap joke that you can go to too often, but it was perfectly deployed here, and I think yeah. it works. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, two episodes left, and then we'll be moving on to Discovery, which is really getting up pretty quickly, coming up yeah. on us very fast. So I have to say, the preview for next week looks like it's going to be a great episode. And yep. also, like, playing with the structure of it. They're not typical, so I really like that. We're getting our holodeck episode. Yep. You know? Yep. But they're using it, it looks like, to parody the um, Kelvin films. Yeah, lots of so lens flares. Should be interesting. Lots of lens flares present in mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. in the, and it's funny because I kind of thought that the Kelvin films wouldn't really get any mention at all, or like mm-hmm. any kind of like this show. I guess I can understand it because they want to just make a joke out of it, but I think it's just because they're such separate entities and they're just separate universes that you wouldn't. I I just wouldn't think that they uh, would mention them at all so yeah well that's why i think it's so great and it's such a commentary because mariner says when she tweaks the program says i turned it into an awesome action movie yep so in other words it's saying like this is not that that's an action movie this is a star trek cartoon yeah and we have to change it a lot to be even almost similar to that the thing that i hope that they don't do i hope that they don't say lens flare like i get you have to have lens flare to make it look like it's it, it is one of those films, and it's a visual cue, but I'm really tired of lens flare jokes, and I think they're very 
hackneyed and, and uh, low energy, right. low effort. So you just said you just said you just said visual cue. Oh yes, I meant C U E. I know, I know, I know you did. Could also be a visual cue. Hue. 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 Like I'm waiting in the queue. To oh, see oh next I thought you said episode. Hue, and I thought you were referencing Hue. Not Hue. Uh, Not Hue. Not Hue. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. I think it's going to be really. I think it'll be really good with that. With that. So, I don't have any Star Trek news per se. I just have one item that I found on Twitter. Okay. Which, again, grain of salt. Somebody posted a photo taken from the Toronto studios where they filmed Discovery. And it's a sign directing people which gate to enter in. And it says for the Star Trek Discovery crew to use, like, I think it said gate two, but it said Star Trek Discovery season four. And. <laughs> It's also been suggested by, or hinted at at least, by some of the um, actors, I guess, on social media that they're heading back up there to uh, resume filming. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm a little... I think the pandemic kind of messed with my sense of time. Yes. And I I was talking to some people who I follow on Twitter who were all just kind of like these you know, Star Trek friends, and they were saying, I was like, yeah, like is this legit? And... And I said, well, I said, is it safe for them to, to be? And they said, well, don't forget, it's in Canada, and they've all, and, you know, you live in the U.S., and I'm just like, oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, yeah. fair enough, I get it. And a lot of films have started up again. Yeah. Filming. Yeah, and I guess um, uh, the composer, whose name is Jeff Russo, is actually back at the recording stage. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, all with Here's safety precautions in mind, so it's, go ahead. Yeah. Here's where I think it makes sense, because... When the shutdown happened, they were done with season two, three rather. So, like literally weeks weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. So you figure from I don't know early March. Perhaps if they're done, they were totally done with. I mean, what I'm saying is maybe they, all the writers had a lot of downtime and just said, you know what, let's just write the next season since we are. Um, Locked down. Well, when and when you really and when you really think about it too. Again, this is why my timetables seem messed up because I, I, I think it's because I still feel like this pandemic has only kind of just begun. I forget how much time has actually passed. So yeah. we've been home since March, right? Mm-hmm. And season th- three finished filming, I think, in mid to late February. That was seven months ago. Yeah. So it would make sense that they would be. I think what's throw. I think two things are throwing me. I think it's because again, it feels like this pandemic only really still just began. But also, season three hasn't aired yet. So mentally, right. I'm not even thinking about season four yet. Right. Right. And, but absent the pandemic, the season would have already aired. Correct. Wasn't it going to start? In oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I don't think they didn't have a. They didn't have an official date. I think mm-hmm. for the um, for the season to begin, I know there was that when Picard ended, there was the teaser pro- the teaser image for season three to um, 
that it was coming soon, even though no official launch date had been confirmed at that point. That was sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, so I don't think everything was out on lockdown yet. So CBS was probably eyeing maybe like springtime, summer maybe. But the pandemic and the reshuffling and trying to figure all this stuff out probably, you know, obviously put a delay on stuff. So their original target date was probably sometime in the spring, maybe even the summertime. I don't know. So right. I, your, I believe it. I think it makes sense. To your point, yeah. I mean, it's it's really all about the season having not aired. Had it aired at that point and they stayed on their original target, we would have been done with season three by now. And them jumping into season four, it, it's, it would have made sense. Right? Because when yeah, season two yeah. ended, season two ended in April, March or April of 2019, they moved, they started filming season three in like July. So like three months later. So had season three aired initially like say back if it aired, if season three began airing right after picard it'd, it'd be over by now it would have been over probably two months ago right and so i think so we're probably still right on schedule with all of that yeah if, maybe if, a little bit early maybe, but yeah the other thing to consider is that that they probably have their sets already most of them because they right. already have the you know so given that they had all that time Yep. writers to write and hash everything out, you know, I'm sure they sort of just were ready to go. So why... You know wait? what, You know what though? It does yeah. make me wonder, right? So, I, I, like, I have so many questions about this in some ways. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. And and really, it's it's season... It's because of the lack of season three airing. I mean, I, I know it's a few weeks away, but that's where my mind is. I'm wanting to season three that I'm not even thinking about a season four. So, it logistically it makes sense it's just it didn't air when it normally should have um it's interesting to me that it's filming before picard season two we haven't heard anything about that um and i do know that strange new world is set to begin filming sometime in 2021 the early part of 2021 i don't Mm. know where they're filming that probably i assume Mm. canada um I think Picard is delayed because Picard is filmed in L.A. And given that we're in the U.S., you know, and we're still knee-deep in this pandemic for reasons I, you know, we shouldn't be. But You know, how old is Patrick Stewart now? I mean, he's in his 80s. Yeah, so he's also in a high-risk group. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, very true. So, um, yeah. But it seems like they've gotten over the hurdle of the... Because also don't forget that you need to consider that when they had to kind of move everything remotely, as I had to do, there's a lot of figuring out of things, of having to adjust, and you had to do, as adjust to your new environment and figure things out. Once they kind of got into that groove, and then obviously precautions were lifted, safety measures were put into place, they're able to kind of return to, to this albeit with safety in mind. Now, my question on that whole thing is, what does that mean as far as how long it takes to film something, right? So, like, in other words, with Discovery filming season four, apparently, if you're filming something, that would say normally take, you know, if there's anything with filming that you can timetable, that would say Mm -hmm. take a day. 
Yeah, is it adding more time? Do do safety measures now mean that oh, what would normally take a day now takes two days, right? Like other things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. But they they didn't they tend to spend about six to eight months, I believe, filming these seasons. So. Um, I don't know when season four begins filming. I don't think it's officially started yet, but my guess is we'll probably see it. I mean, you figure when season three ends, they'll already they'll already be probably in the midst of filming, and so I don't know, maybe springtime. Does that seem too early to you? Maybe next fall. I don't know. Air. Yeah. Well, if they're really starting it now, I can see it in late spring, early summer. It, it just summer. makes me wonder, like, does the delay of having to delay the broadcast of season three now that, and they'll be, you know, for the first time really filming a new season as the previous one airs, mm-hmm. does that bring the two kind of closer together? I would think so, because, you know, because think about it this way, all right? So, all right. Um,. Lower Decks is about to end. Two more weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the show that we're watching. Uh, Discovery's going to go until, what, like sometime in December? Uh, well, it's October 15th is when it is. So probably, yeah, probably into, maybe even into January. I don't know. Maybe okay. like into the first week of January. I don't know. All right. And then they don't start filming Strange New Worlds till... What do you say? January, February, March? So, I think area? somewhere around that time, yeah. And but that's okay. and, and I don't so know where, after, yeah. So after this season of Discovery Bands, there's nothing to, to air. Correct. So I think it makes sense that they'd be filming it right now. Yep. They want to have something to air. And Picard has no sign of Picard filming, so we got to assume Picard's going to go after Strange New Worlds or during. No, I think, and I think because. Bacard is the only one that's being filmed in the U.S. Um, again, I don't know if Strange New Worlds is getting filmed in Canada. It probably is. Mm. I would say we may have the longest gap with Picard just because of where the U.S. is right. in this mm-hmm. pandemic versus the other countries. Now, I would even say in some weird way the next presidential election could be a factor in when we could see Picard again. Um, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, unless they convince Patrick Stewart to move to Canada. So, yeah, and then Lower Decks, I mean, you could do that entirely remotely. So I would say that one, that one's going to be the easiest one to, to get out, right? And I know that CBS initially bought the series for two seasons. So yeah. in terms of what we could see, so looking ahead in terms of what we could potentially see beyond what's the first thing we could see after season three of discovery. I don't know. I it's, think it's going to be season four of discovery. It is going to be season four. I think so. Unless they're already writing lower decks. Well, you have to figure that. Yeah, maybe it'll be. I would say it's going to be season four and then Strange New Worlds. Yeah, because I don't think that they would want to go. Um, let me see. So, like, I don't think they would want to go like 10 months without anything. No, because no. don't forget, 
think about this year. Okay, we're in 2020. As shitty as the year it may have been, we've had three Trek shows premiere this year. We've had season one of Picard, we've had Lower Decks, and season three of Discovery. That's pretty good. And that's... And I know that there was like that whole idea like, oh, CBS wants there to be new Trek on all the time. I don't think that that's logistically possible, but you definitely want to have... It definitely isn't now. If maybe it was at one time. Yeah. But I would imagine you're still going to have gaps. Like, they probably want to reduce the time between shows oh, yeah. as much as possible. I don't think you're going to have a continual 52 weeks of Trek every week, every year. No. no. Right? But I also don't think you're going to have almost an entire year without anything. No, agreed, agreed, absolutely. I think I think you probably. I, my guess is, what we got this year is probably what they want to try to do each year. Try to have like a season yeah. of at least three shows, one season of three of a few of the shows every year. Maybe yeah. not like. So they run- would have spaced them out differently if not for the pandemic. Yeah, I think the pandemic is obviously why. I mean, it's great that we're getting twenty-three weeks of Trek. That's a, that's awesome, but. Um, I think that I I don't think you, I think so I think it was just sort of I think it was timing that allowed them to run lower decks right up against discovery and then they thought oh hey we can advertise that as 23 straight weeks of trek that's that's amazing think of all the people we can get to sign up for that who don't have CBS right we can get people on for 23 straight weeks not just a month we'll get them to pay for two shows so that's in some ways that's good right but yeah. I don't think what we're seeing now could potentially be the norm. I don't think you're going to normally see two... I feel like maybe you'll go... You'll have, like, one season of a show. Maybe you'll go two months, three months, and then another season. Maybe a little less of a gap. I don't know. But I feel like I feel like they want to have a gap of maybe just a couple of months in between. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. And we'll be back next week to discuss the uh, penultimate episode of season one of Star Trek Lower Decks. It feels crazy to say that, but that's where we are. Thanks for listening.